grateful for our Chinese ministry and so thankful for you. I'm also thankful this morning uh, that Dr. Salim Munayer is here to share with us. Uh, Dr. Munayer was born in Israel, lives there still today. He teaches at Bethlehem Bible College and at uh, Nazareth Evangelical College. He's married, has four children. Um, he has multiple degrees from various places, even, I think, two schools in California, am I, am I not mistaken? Yeah, one uh, just down at Fuller uh, Theological Seminary in Pasadena. Um, he is the founder of Musalaha Ministries, which is a reconciliation ministry between um, Israeli Jewish peoples and Palestinian peoples, and we are delighted that you're here today. Thank you. Good morning to you. Uh, just uh, for a moment, I said to myself, if we had also worship in Arabic and Hebrew and Spanish, and, and it was marvelous, and I could be sitting quiet and listening to the worship, because people worshiping God is the most beautiful things that can we do. Uh, my name is Selim Munayer, and I am a Palestinian Christian and Israeli citizen. It need to have a little bit of introduction. Palestinian people are in the indigenous people of the land that are coming from multi-ethnic group. As I said, as I say all the time when I travel in California, it is uh, the Holy Land is like Highway Five uh, between Asia, Africa, and Europe. And so there are all the time in our land. Uh, the people from Arab, Jewish, Samaritan, Greek, Roman, Egyptian, multi-ethnic uh, group being shaped by civilization and history. Christians, we trace ourselves to the early church. As you know, the early church at that time was multi-ethnic, multi-groups uh, uh, from different parts of the world were coming to Jerusalem and experiencing the pouring of the Holy Spirit. And they become the fellow or following of Jesus. We can trace our family to the 12th century in the city of Lida for people that are coming more from Europe and Middle East is the city where St. George, the one on the horse killing the dragon, tombs there. So my grand-grandfather uh, was one of the families that built the current church there. So many times we look upon our family as archaeological artifact. And so, uh, how I became Israeli uh, during the war between the Palestinians and the Jews as our city got conquered and major atrocity has committed against the people of the city and most of the people being forced to leave the city after a massacre. My father found refuge in the church and his family and they became refugees in their hometown. So I born and grew up post-traumatic era the Palestinians, we call it a Nakba, what happened in 1948. Growing up in a city that multi-ethnic uh, uh, group, religious, Palestinian Christian, Muslims, and many Jews uh, that came and dwell in the city. So during my upbringing, I was all the time exposed to the different culture and the religion of the city. And during my study at high school, in a Jewish high school, I've been challenged about my ethnic and religious identity. In that process, I asked a lot of questions, and 
And one of the questions that answered all my uh, struggle at that time, what we do with the situation, how we confront our situation, how we change our situation, was uh, Jesus. And we were a group of uh, Jewish Palestinian high school kids in the end of kind of the mid-70s. It was kind of the end of the hippie era. If some of you remember, I used to have hair a lot. Now I don't. <laughs> Beard like this. And you know, if some of you remember, we used to have these jeans uh, with open up at the bottom. Uh, and uh, and uh, what it used to be called? Bell bottom. And, and the biggest struggle at that time, poor my sister, uh, ladies were not allowed to dress jeans in my part of the world, if some of you remember, and were not allowed to have zipper from the front. And when my sister brought jeans with zipper from the front, my father almost had a heart attack. That was, that was the era at the time of where we were asking questions about many things, and of course about our life, and conflict, and what, what, what is the answer. So I committed myself to the Lord during my study at Tel Aviv University and been involved with both people of the land, realizing that God is calling me to the ministry. I uh, decided at that time to come to study in California and ended up at Fuller Theological Seminary where I did my degree. Coming back to the land, I was immediately immersed into teaching both Israeli and Palestinian students. And found myself many times asked by Israeli students what the Palestinians think, and they didn't like the answer, they attacked me. Then my Palestinian student asked me what the Israelis think. So I told them, and they didn't like it either. So I said, I am in the middle, why don't you meet with each other, hear it not through me, hear from each other. So they met with each other, both group were believers in Jesus, and so we thought, you know, our common faith in Jesus will bring us together in spite of the fact that our people are in enmity with each other. Turned out to be disaster. So I said to myself, if the students are not getting along, maybe because they are students and not mature, they don't know the scripture very well. So why don't we get seven pastors from the Israeli side and seven pastors from the Palestinian side? You know, pastors, no offense, pastor, are more mature, supposed to be. They know the scripture also, supposed to be. And they are more connected with the will of God and the teaching. So we had these pastors coming together and turned out to be that they were worse than the students. So, <laughs> so I was puzzled and uh, asked myself what to do. But at the same time, as any one of us knows, there are the teaching in the scripture where Jesus reconciled us to God and to each other. The inauguration of the kingdom of God on earth was the coming of Jesus. Jesus not only died for our sin, Jesus gave us a new life. And this is really important. Many times I meet people think that Jesus only forgave our sin. More than that, Jesus gave us eternal life. Gave us life, an abundant life. In order that we will be God's agent in history. And that is very important because many times 
I meet some Christian when become believers, they join the church, they join a bubble. As long as I don't sleep, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I sleep around, I am okay. I'm waiting for the rapture. Uh, other people kind of have dualistic view. You know, we don't talk, we live, spiritual is different than material world. As a matter of fact, it's not biblical, it's Greek philosophy. So, uh, we don't have the change and impact of our walk with our Lord into our society. For this reason, this morning, before I tell you how we promote reconciliation between Israeli and Palestinian, I would like you to turn to Scripture, to the first letter, uh, to the second letter of Paul to the Corinthian, chapter 5. Now, you need to understand, at that time, the Roman Empire was controlling all the area around the Mediterranean. Corinth was a port city like San Francisco, with very diverse ethnic groups there. And people in the Roman Empire, especially they are citizens, they knew that they have certain position and privileges in the Roman Empire. And this empire, where its capital and center was Rome and Caesar, were ruling throughout the earth by the Pax Romana, the peace of the Roman Empire that uh, was built mainly upon the sword of the Roman uh, army. And anyone that rebel, dear me, will suffer uh, severely. And here Paul coming to this city, port city, it's very important gate, commercial, culture, religious way between uh, Italy and Greece and the rest of the Mediterranean. And he's teaching them about a new kingdom. The kingdom that not built on the sword of the Roman Empire, kingdom that is built on the cross, the most humbling and the most severe punishment the Roman Empire at that time had on people. You know, many of us today walk with the cross upon us, and we're proud of it. At that time, the cross was the sign of humiliation. It was a sign of the electric death uh, chamber seat where people been executed. A sign for everybody, dare, dare anyone challenge the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, people are in the ladder of economic and social, climbing up who is going to have more benefit. But Paul was presenting to the Roman, the Corinthian, a different type of a king. A king that not asked to be served, a king that wants to be served. A king that not asking you to die for the empire, a king that is willing to die for you. And not only that, he's calling us into the citizenship of this kingdom. I quite many times travel into Jordan, and Jordan, as you know, is a kingdom. If I walk in the street of Jordan, the capital, Amman, and I will say, I am the son of the king, I am the son of the king in the city, there's two things will happen to me. One, the secret servant will come and catch me and say, what do you mean you are the son of the king? We know exactly who is the king. Are you rebellion? Are you calling for rebellion against our king? Or they will think, that I'm mental ill, and they'll put me in a hospital. That was sometimes attitude to the early Christian in the Roman Empire when they walk around. But look and see what Paul is saying to us 
as a result of what God did for us in Jesus on the cross. And it is very important for us to look at. Verse 17, chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When we believe in Jesus, with the coming of Jesus upon earth, in his crucifixion, and his resurrection, and ascension, something drastically have changed in history. We don't worship Caesar anymore. People all around the world this morning are worshipping the King Jesus. Who would have believed at that time? Small group of men and women were worshipping Jesus in the light, in the context of the strongest and biggest empire of that day. That something new is happening. And this something new, Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, Join God, because God is doing something new in history. God is reconciling the world to himself. Things are happening in history for the direction of God. And God is inviting each one of us to join what he's doing. It's not only because we believe in Jesus and we are being redeemed and we have saved. We are called to join God in the most important endeavor in human history. And he's inviting us to that. All is this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. When you are saved, when you believe that Jesus is a king and a savior, you are joining a ministry of reconciliation. This is a ministry where we, we are all part of it, calling people to love of God, love of neighbor, and love of enemies. That's what we are called to be and to do. This is important ministry because what God did for us in, in, in Jesus. In verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men and women's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The word, the gospel here, message. The Roman emperor, in Rome, were making decrees. And the role of the Roman citizen, official, is to take these decrees from Rome to the end of the Roman Empire. We have a message to the world. The message to the world is not come through a living letters. Us. When we go, you're going to North Africa. Where you, matter of fact, just think about that. Some group of men and women were so crazy 2,000 years in Jerusalem to go out. And today, look, in San Francisco, there is a church. Just think about that. It is unbelievable for those men 2,000 years ago that they thought they're going to change the world by being, bringing the message. That's the power we have. That's the impact we have on history. This is the way we change. Not by only coming to church, by going out as the living letters. And then, Paul saying, we are therefore Christ's ambassador. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. To be ambassador. 
I live in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem traffic, it's like the bridge in San Francisco. I was, got stuck there for half an hour on my way. And, you know, you just walk, drive slowly, slowly, like there are ten lanes, and suddenly they go, oops, to three lanes. So imagine all those lanes being closed because one ambassador is coming to visit Jerusalem. And I later get accused by my wife why I'm late to pick up the kids from the swimming pool. Go and explain. The ambassador of the United States of Britain, France, have come to Jerusalem. And you know what you answer me? You should have thought about it. You should have calculated before. You knew it's coming. So you never win. Okay. So, in the end of the day... She asked me, what more important, your work and ministry or the children? You feel not so good about it, you know. <laughs> so, you are ambassadors. What does ambassadors coming to Jerusalem? Are they coming to speak to themselves? No. The ambassador comes with words. And he has to deliver the exact word, the intention of his government to the people, to the other country. We are ambassadors of Jesus in our way of life, in our message, in our compassion. We are the ambassador of Jesus. But I tell you what, this is very dangerous language. Imagine you're living in Corinth and everybody needs to be loyal to Caesar. Suddenly a group of men and women going around the city of Corinth and saying to people... We are ambassadors. Oh, you're ambassador of Caesar. No, no, we're ambassador of another king. And another Jesus. No wonder the early church, they took the Christian to the arena and to fight the gladiator and to be eaten by wild animals. Because they were rebellious people. Because they were saying, there is a king above Caesar and we are the ambassador of this king. And there is a price for that. Are we willing today to pay that price again? We challenge today all around the world with our loyalty to our political system and our loyalty to the teaching and the calling that is upon us by the kingdom of God and Jesus the King. What is the line where our loyalty is to political leaders and what is the place where we need to be a prophetic voice to our political system, to our political leaders, and to say that we are the ambassador of Jesus and not willing to accept things that, do, that put God down, that cause us to dislike or hate other people and not to be merciful and compassionate to people that are in distress. It is very challenging to us today. And not only being ambassador... God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we become the righteousness of God. God has chosen us as a vehicle for him to work in history. What a privilege. What a privilege to welcome this calling upon ourselves and to join people all around the world that want to be peacemakers. And that is a challenge for us. Because we're living in a world, there is quite a bit of tribal hate. And this, we dehumanize each other. We're the good, they're the bad. We generalize about them. 
We choose the moral value where we think we're good at in order to look down and build our self-esteem on their expense. All around the world there are tribes, Jewish tribe, Palestinian tribes, maybe here in America we have Democrat and Republican tribes. We're tribal. Brexit in Britain, we don't want to be part of those European. We don't want Brussels beer and cheese to decide for us, the British, what should we eat? By the way, Brussels, Belgium beer are the best in the world. (laughs) Even so, the British will not recognize that. I'm married to Brits, so I can speak up about that. So, what we do that? How we move from dehumanization into demonization by using religious language to describe the other as ultimate evil in order to quiet our conscience when we lash violently against each other. In the morning I shared something, somebody, people liked it, so I'll share it again. Uh, last, like last night, a photo that somebody sent to me in A photo of two ladies in Scandinavia. One is Muslim, totally covered, only his eyes revealed, standing on the beach, looking intensely toward a Danish lady, dressed in bikini with huge sunglasses, and two ladies on the beach looking intensely toward each other. So I decided to write something about their head. I wrote about the head of the Danish lady looking toward the Muslim lady, She's on the beach. Everything is covered. Only his eyes are revealed. I wrote above the Muslim lady head. Everything is revealed. Only his eyes are covered. <laughs> so we play with the moral values. We praise the moral values. Why we do that? We do that because we have moral value, culture class, and many issues. Not only we dehumanize each other, we demonize each other, also what we found out is there is imbalance of power between people come together, things will not work out. You know, all the time I heard, just let people sit together, and if they being civil, they will work it out. It's like making financial budget for the church. It doesn't work out, as you know. Did I touch something here? <laughs> you know, you can talk about everything, but when it comes to budget... So, it's like when I was very young, they were teaching us um, how to bake in our school. So I thought if I bring flour, milk, eggs, sugar, mix them together and put them in the oven, it will work out. It turned out to be a disaster. So I went, my mother said, it doesn't work like this. There is a way that to have the ingredients is not good enough to have a cake. You have to bring them together a certain way in order to have the product. So how we brought and bringing still Israeli and Palestinian together in order to promote reconciliation. The place we found out, 
It is where the most of the Bible, especially the Hebrew scripture, has been written. The desert. The desert is a place where Moses went to find the God. The desert was a place Jesus being tempted. See, the desert has a major impact on people, especially enemy. When you put two groups of people that don't like each other in the desert, they are forced to get along with each other in order to overcome the challenge of the desert. Especially if you bring those two groups of people and have them cross the desert on camels. And the camel becomes the joint enemy. So, what's happened in the desert? The desert is a place where the imbalance of power disappears. We cannot play power games. The desert is a place we discover that we're all human, created in God's image, especially after four days, we all smell like camels. The desert is a place where we have a common goal. The desert is a place where we have to work together in order to accomplish things. I would like to share with you this morning, for conclusion, some of the lessons that I think is very important for us today. And you cannot help it realizing and being aware that so much language of hate all around us and of dehumanizing other people for whatever ethnic, religion, or race they belong to. When you hate someone, it's like drinking a glass of poison anticipating the enemy to die. We die. The enemy doesn't feel your dislike. It's eating you from inside. The second lesson of the desert, forgiveness. When I was doing my PhD 30 years ago, my mentor, professor, was laughing on, on me and said, Ah, you're writing chapter on forgiveness. But today, all over social and psychology science, we all know that the well-being and healing of people is really linked to forgiveness. When you don't forgive, it's like locking yourself in a jail holding the key, dwelling with self-comfort, kind of, the demons of the past control you, of your present, and you don't have for the future. In Israel, Avram Burg, he was the head of the Knesset, the Israeli parliament, he wrote a book, and basically he was saying that we, the Jews, he said, we need to look again, into our traumatic history of the Holocaust. And not to have the position of never forgive and never forget. We need to remember, but also we need to release ourselves from the demons of the past because they control our present. Memory is very powerful tools. We choose what to remember for the present conflict. In the scripture, there are two stories that are very important because each one of us went through a very painful experience. And this painful experience can control our life and present because we don't forgive or cannot forgive. 
Because it's so dear, so it is so important for us. But how we can remember redemptively. And God told the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, remember you were stranger in Egypt. It's more verses about how you treat a stranger than dwelling in the land. The commandment about it. Why? Because when you are powerful, you don't do to the weak what has been done to you. But more than anything else, you need to remember that God is with the weak. With the margin. As God heard the cries of the children of Israel in Egypt and slavery, God hears the cries of the oppressed today. And God answers. And that's what the children of Israel need to remember. And in many churches, every Sunday morning, we have the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do that to my memory. Because our memory needs to be redeemed, and not to be an instrument of destruction, but instrument of redemption. Because on the cross of Jesus, Jesus died for the oppressed and the oppressor. For both people, Jesus has died for. For all people, for the powerful and for the weak. And that need to be redeemed. How we react and respond to our enemies says more about us than about our enemies. And this is the reason Jesus taught us a lesson, love your enemy. You have heard it says in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you ever say love your brother and hate your enemy. Love the one that like you. Eat like you, look like you, have a faith like you. And Jesus said, no, be like your Father in heaven. As children, we used to laugh on it. Matter of fact, Sermon of the Mount, in the Catholic Church many times, looked upon, this is the vocation of the priest, because our holy people can do it. In the Protestant tradition, the Sermon on the Mount is like a wishful list of people. That is something that we aspire to do, but in reality we cannot. But in matter of fact, if you study very careful, like Glenn Stassen, uh, he wrote about it. If you study the Sermon on the Mount, here Jesus is giving us a very practical way how we respond to life in a redemptive way. Because when we love our enemy, we free ourselves from the tyranny of our enemy. Our enemy doesn't control our life. And many of us are controlled by their enemy. You are engaged in your thinking, in your feeling. Twenty years ago I was going to a church and there was a group of people I didn't like. It doesn't just happen to me, not to you. I didn't like their theology. I didn't like their politics. And when I came to church with my family, we knew exactly where we sit, as far away from there. And as sitting there, I was not listening to the sermon. I was engaging in, in my head. I was answering their emails, their objections, wrapped up with them. By loving your enemy, you're free to be who you are. You're free to allow the Holy Spirit to use you for what God is intended for you. And in it, many times, 
When you bring people together from different culture, ethnic group, people are fearful to lose their identity. In math fact, you find your identity by engaging with others. God blessed me with four boys. I really, truly wanted a girl. It didn't work out. Some people blame the hummus because of that. <laughs> so, uh, Jack, my oldest son, put one day on his room, when he was around seven, eight years old, a sign. So I went to look at the sign. It was written on the sign, No Girls Zone. Matter of fact, on my birthday. And I looked at him and said, Do you know that mommy, that me and your mother would really love to have a daughter? Just, we have you. I mean, we would love to have us daughters. It would be great. Somebody will feel compassion toward me at least. Not ask me only for money. <laughs> That's what boys do. So, a young lady came to visit a small girl. And Jack ran immediately to his room. I said, what's happened? And Jack said, Dad, she's a girl. I said, what? Great, cute girl. Why don't you play with her? She talks too much. She doesn't play football. They are football. He was building his identity as a male. So anything, others, is threat to him. Because his identity is not secure. He was building it. I told him, son, one day you will chase ladies until you die. <laughs> And that's what happened to him. He got married two years ago. So when we are unsure in our identity, who we are, everybody else is a threat. But when our identity is secured in Christ, we can welcome everybody. So let us today transform our identity in Christ welcoming the calls from God upon us to be engaged in the ministry of reconciliation we have a beautiful message to the world that is divided that is in pain there is so much hatred and bitterness let's bring this good news to the world that God appeared on earth God is doing something new in history. He's inviting us to join him, to make a difference, as we see it around here later after those group of men and women left Jerusalem to the end of the earth and change history. Let's join God in doing that. And let's celebrate God's creation by learning the joy, the richness of each other identity, that in order that will be the righteousness of God in our today history and time. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Menire. Um, we're going to have a time of singing and prayer, Steve, if you would come back. Um, there's a table on your way out. If you'd like to learn more about the Ministry of Reconciliation that Dr. Menire is heading, there are uh, brochures here uh, that you can take. There's a website on here. You can learn more of the brochure itself.
has a lot of great information. There's also a book, one of the books he's written, uh, Through My Enemy's Eyes, I would recommend to you just uh, as a, a helpful resource in understanding uh, that particular uh, part of the world. And reconciliation is not just needed in that part of the world, we certainly need it often in our part of the world, in uh, our, um, our lives, our political climate, uh, just wherever we are today. And it is the message of reconciliation, that God loves people around us and uh, that he wants uh, to be in a relationship with them. May we live our faith in such a way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and thank you for this reminder that you are the one in Christ Jesus who has reconciled us to yourself and you have given us this great message that you love those who are far from you, love those who are far from us. You've called us to love you, to love our neighbor, and even to love our enemies. So God, help us with that. Grow us in these realities. And we pray that you would bless this particular ministry that seeks to reconcile lives that are broken through history, lives that are broken in reality and in the present, and that you would bring healing. And in doing so, that the gospel of Jesus would be held up and would be very visible as salt and light in this community. We pray it in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. I invite you to find uh, the last song in your, uh, your hymnal. And would you stand with us? It's also in your music insert. Let's stand and sing together. Amen.